Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. And I'm Travis. We're Southern men de-reconstructing the South. So the last time we talked about fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to carry that on, we're going to talk about mothers and wives and and all the female type stuff. Yep, and I want to. I think we're going to do this one a little differently. Last last time to. we, yeah, last time we were overloading you with a bunch of scriptures and trying to make a pretty good case for what a father is supposed to do. This time, I think only a few scriptures will suffice mm-hmm. to make our point. Um, and uh, obviously, everybody's got the first scripture in mind, Proverbs thirty-one. Um, but there's a there's a few other passages that we can bring to mind mm-hmm. that. Uh, that there's a few other passages that come to mind. <clears throat> Let me try that a third time. There's a few other passages that come to mind that we can present that really give you an idea of what the scriptures um, expect of women. But on the tail end of this, um, because it's spelled out for us right now, um, we're actually going to touch a little bit into our Confederate veteran episode and get into the antebellum Southern woman because it goes over quite a bit of what the Southern woman did um, before the war and how those how those women persisted through to you know, during the war and then post-war. And so it'll give a good um, reaching back, shall we say, of what women were like, the expectation of women, how they were raised, etc. Um, and it, it'll be touching back to our roots of what what was the, the quintessential Southern woman outside of the Yankee propaganda. Yeah, uh, and we're we're having to draw from female sources because we're not females. None of us identify as females. Um, we we all have he him pronouns. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, I think think Proverbs thirty one is the greatest description of what you should look for in a woman and what a woman should aspire to. I think no one would disagree with that. Yeah, if you uh, do, you're wrong. Yeah, unironically, you're wrong. Uh, because that that is what the feminists are rebelling against is what a woman should be, um, and it's no they're not even ashamed to say that they they do not want to be good housewives they do not want to submit to uh, male authority uh, not just male authority but you know paternal authority and um, and husband authority patriarchal authority you know. Uh, I don't think any of us here would agree that women should just submit to all men, but rather they should submit to their fathers and then their husbands. That's right. Um, in in rare cases, maybe their uncles or some other patriarchal head of the family. Uh, those typically aren't the case most of the time. Um, but, yeah, so let's get on down into it. Um, I, th- I think one of the first things that we can say is a woman should be virtuous, you know, as the, uh, the whoever wrote the proverb, let's see. Um, Solomon. Yeah, it's Solomon, but it says the king, the words of the king Lemuel, um, which we were having a discussion a little bit earlier today that Lemuel might be Solomon, might not be Solomon. Maybe. Um, I, it seems to me just the way that it's, um, <clears throat> the way that it's written seems to me that Solomon's pointing to another king who got wisdom from his mother. Could be. Um, and and really, you know, the the big thing here is that all this is being told by a king to his son, regardless of whether King Lemuel is um, uh, King Solomon or not. the The important thing here is that women are supposed to pass down their wisdom to the the future the, the future women, uh, their their daughters and their granddaughters. Um, there's a, a way of going about it that is different than a man. Um, hers is a 
quieter, more consistent influence on the children. Uh, yeah, uh, we see where Paul was speaking to the women, I think it's in Timothy, that the, the younger should learn from the older mm-hmm. um, and how to keep a good house. Uh, last time we used the analogy of a house, the structure of the house. So men build the house. Men provide for the women. Women then manage the household. That's right. Uh, if we're going to think about this as like a business type structure, uh, the man would be the CEO and the woman would be the CFO. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not even the CFO, but the, the, the one right up under the head. So she, she would be managing the house. She would be making it prosper. Um, she would not be idle all day. She would not be sitting in front of, of the television while the kids are gone to school. Right. You know, binge watching, you know, uh, Days of Our Lives. <laughs> um, or any other soap operas. Yeah. Um, or but, space operas if, you're, if, you're spy, if your wife watches sci-fi. Can't be sitting there watching Star Wars all day. Yeah, I mean, occasionally maybe. But anyways, so it starts <laughs> off, and it goes, it starts off with who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. I mean, what, whenever I think of virtuous, I, I think of a woman that's, um, she, she has, uh, you're not supposed to define it with a word, but she has virtue. Uh, kind of, kind of obvious, but well, I I, I pointed out a, a a virtue the other day it is nothing more than excellence of a thing according to its nature. So when we we say a virtuous woman, um, in his book Masculine Christianity, Zach Garris kind of makes a case for uh, the passage that speaks of. So in 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 his book Masculine Christianity, Zach Garris makes a case. For 1 Timothy 2.15, which he has it in his book, is, Yet she shall be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So, he makes the case that this childbearing here is essentially a woman embodying the roles of a wife and a mother. And it's not simply that she has kids. And so... The, the virtue is that a woman was made to be the helpmeet of a man. And all the things that will come after a little bit later in this passage in Proverbs 31 are excellencies of being a woman according to her nature. And so these, these would be the virtues. So the virtues of a virtuous woman is a woman who excels at her station as a helpmeet to her husband. Yeah, and some of the examples that are drawn from Proverbs 31 is that um, the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. Um, he, you know, the, the husband is to give his full faith and duties to the wife. He, he should, you know, she should, she should be a woman of her word, for one thing, and then she should also be, they should have the same goals in mind, and the same ideas of how to obtain those goals. It goes on to say that she seeks you know, wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. So wool and flax are things that they used to make clothing with. And so she puts time and effort into making good quality clothes. She clothes her husband. She clothes her children. She's working with her hands. She's being industrious. Uh, she's not just going down to the Walmart and buying a $2 shirt for to clothe her husband with, you know, she's actually taking the time to, you know, I understand that we don't spin garments anymore. Uh, might should start, you know. Probably start, need to, yeah. Yeah, start cutting out dresses from a flower sack. Mm-hmm. Uh, most women today can't even sew. Well, that's a good place to start. Yeah, I mean, learning these basic skills, but then she's also, it says that she's, um, she, she's like a merchant ship. She's bringing food from afar. You know, she's going out into the marketplace to buy food that she can't grow, and then she's bringing it home to make a good meal for her family. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, you know, I don't want to sound, you know, while I am chauvinistic, I don't want to sound too overly chauvinistic and say that a woman needs a hot meal when the man comes home, but, you know, she should have a hot meal when the man comes home. Well, that's exactly what the next passage says. <laughs> uh, she riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. 
So she's not only taking care of her family, but also those all those that are in the household. That's right. By, by the way, let's go ahead and flip over to the Confederate veteran real quick. And um, and it says the old-fashioned virtues and taste. No, um, yeah, it's, it's under the subheading, the old-fashioned virtues and taste, the uh, third paragraph, fourth paragraph down. If among the Hebrews each man was a priest to his own family, among our people every woman officiated as priestess is in an isolated corner where she dwells with a man towards whom duty was pleasure and love was law, to whom for better or worse till death do them part. With her, she gave her best energies to his service. It was her mission to counsel and comfort the weak-hearted and succor all those who were desolate and distressed, were they of her own or of the subjected race. She was the mediatrix, the teacher, and in short, the mother of her people. And to her, if any to one, the Negro owes his present civilization and moral culture. Um, so you, you got to the, uh, the part where... Um, the mother of Scarlet in, um, in Gone with the Wind, how she took care of, you know, I think they called him the poor white trash. I, That's I, the, right. The name escapes me. Mm -hmm. But th this lady was, you know, they weren't her people, but they were either living on her land close by or something like that. Well, they were in her community, yeah. Yeah, she went and she nursed them back to health. And it also says in parts of the book, which we understand that it's it's a fiction work, but we think that, in my assumption, and in my estimation, I think that that's a the the book itself, while fiction, is a great example of what was what Annabellum South was like. Like well, I can't speak for the author because I haven't seen her interpretation of the people that she put in there. But I heard a good case that um the the book is kind of talking about how the south kind of transformed mm -hmm. just before during and after the war and so um spoilers everybody for a, a 100 plus year old book i know you guys hate spoilers but um you know scarlet's mom dies mm -hmm. and this is kind of the ushering out of the older generation and this new generation, whereas the, the, the primary woman in the family now is very materialistic, very haughty. And if you read it in this, in this light, it seems the author may be saying that the South fundamentally changed their ethos in the middle of the war mm -hmm. and became much more materialistic. And so while there is seems to be some contention with that in the confederate veteran i think that uh scarlet's mother would very much be the image of the old southern woman the old southern matriarch who looked after her family and her community with this possessive zeal um where even if it killed her she would she would aid the people of her entire environment right and so kind of switching back to the the proverbs here um, this is kind of what's being, you know, alluded to by the text. She riseth, she riseth while, she, she riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens, right? So she's, she's providing food and sucker to everybody right. in her neighborhood. Well, she, she is the beneficent. Um, I, I believe it's it's I can't remember exactly who said it, but one of the uh, Southerns called them the the beneficent race. Mm -hmm. I don't know who said it either. I don't know either, but I remember that specifically. That was an interesting term. Yeah. Well, I mean, but if you really think about it, I mean, the the, the her servants, you know, call them the Southern woman. Her servants were like her children. They weren't her children, but they were her responsibility nonetheless. Essentially adopted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, or, or if we want to use a kind of, um, a more derogatory term, they were the bastard children. Yeah. You know, she took care of them, but they weren't hers. She knew they weren't hers. Right. But she still loved them. I mean, there, there's... I would say rather adopted instead of the bastard. Yeah, Because they were given fatherhood and motherhood, but they weren't, um, they weren't part of the family They didn't such. get an inheritance, right. though. Oh, and, and essentially the, 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 the old southern women would you know they, there's many accounts of them actually nursing the the poor even the older slaves 
you know, not maybe not within their home, but with a home attached to them, mm-hmm. not out in the slave quarters. Right. You know, they catch flu or, or whatever, the fevers or the consumptions or whatever, and um, they would they would nurse them back to help themselves instead of call a doctor because, you know, the doctor he might have seen them, but he couldn't have stayed there and nursed them. Right. So uh, it it was the matriarch's responsibility to make sure the husbands. Um, self-interest are put ahead right and you know let's just call it like we see it you know that the slaves were the husband's self-interest yeah and and that's one of the reasons i don't think that the the, the typical trope i know we're sounding like slavery defenders here because some of us are um <laughs> it, it it really it really does show that you know when they the the owners had a stake in the game or the slaveholders had a stake in the game they treated them better Right. Let's look at let's look at northern factories. W- would the would the foreman's wife ever go and nurse a worker back to health? Yeah. <laughs> Quite the opposite. They right. would just fire the worker. Yeah. Um, ver- versus you know you had a stake in the game by owning that slave. You know. Well, so um, kind of coming this from a different direction, um, I'm I'm less of a defender of of the institution and more of a defender of the slave owners. Um, and what I, what I mean by that is I know that a lot of the slave owners themselves were trying to find a way to free the slaves without unduly impacting the slaves or themselves. And so there's a, there's a tension and a tightrope that was being walked. And especially closer to the Civil War, you had the Haitian revolts, you had John Brown. Um, and you you know a lot of these literacy laws that were passed against the blacks, a lot of the uh, gun control laws that were passed against the blacks were passed so that there would not be a revolt. Um, even in, in areas where the population of blacks were not really primed for a revolt. Well, um, when you see something like the Haitian revolt, you, you do tend to get a little bit right. antsy. And, well, and, but it's, it was justified, you know, but I think, they, I think it was an overreaction. It was definitely an overreaction. And so it, it's... Um, you know, whereas the the slaves were treated like children in a lot of ways, uh, members of the family even, um, the the sudden change of tone, I guess, would have almost been like a betrayal um, in the in the eyes of the black slaves. <laughs> and so, well, well, and 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 so you know when I when I talk about this, I think that the I think that the slave masters were trying to, uh, the slave owners in the South, by and large, there's obviously exceptions regardless of where we talk about someone being, a, you know, uh, uh, abusive versus not, versus being beneficent. Um, but, you know, the, the general tone of the South, as far as I can tell from reading primary sources especially, is that... Um, there was a concern, but there was also an affection for them. And so I think that the, the southern slave owners were trying to be good masters according to the scriptures. Um, they, brought the, they brought the scriptures to the slaves. They encouraged the slaves to repentance and salvation, um, to, to worship of the one true God. Um, you know, in, any of these uh, accusations of stripping personhood from the slaves... Um, really falls flat when you realize that they were proselytizing and yeah. catechizing their slaves. Um, why would you give a dog the gospel? <laughs> a dog doesn't need the gospel. Men need the gospel. And so the the rejection of personhood was not a rejection of their image bearing. Right. It was a it was a rejection of their legal personhood for specific reasons. Um. So uh, I'm I'm adding these in there because you know what we're seeing here is a completely different vision of what we're normally given about slavery and and it becomes offensive to people who are not used to hearing it um, because they think that we're just under underplaying any of the abuses that happened um, but what we're highlighting here especially with this specific conversation. Um, was that the Southern woman was of a great benefit to the to the blacks in the South, even as slaves, because like you're saying, they treated them like adopted children that were that were, you know, cared for. 
Um, Stay, staying kind of on the southern topic, one of the the redeeming virtues of Scarlet would be that would be verse sixteen. She considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruits of her hand, she planteth a vineyard. Yep. So, so when we when we look, you know, again, spoiler alert for for a really old book, um, <laughs> she buys she buys a she buys two logging uh, uh, timber companies. Mm-hmm. Okay, and she puts that money to work for her. Right. You know, granted, we can always say, you know, we can say that she undercut her, her husband, but he was kind of a weak man anyways. Um, but she, she buys it and then she puts the plantation back to good use. You know, she has to marry this weak husband to get the money to pay the taxes on the plantation. Right. But she gets the plantation back to its former glory. She also uh, goes out and she starts doing the lot, the sawmills. And um, she starts making money for herself. In the same way, a Hebrew wife would go out and buy a field and plant a vineyard, like, like the proverb says. Right. Um, and and so a lot of times when, when we start thinking about you know the patriarchal you know point of view um, versus like the complementarian and the egalitarian point of view, is that patriarchal people say, oh, well, women can't work. Well, no, we just understand that we don't want a woman, you know, our wives working for another man. Well, and I kind of want to address this more in full when we get done with Proverbs 31. But, you know, the it it's not that the whole idea of a woman should never work is is a really bad argument. And dumb. Yeah, I mean, from the text, everybody in the home is supposed to work, including the children. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody is supposed to be contributing to the home, including the children. Um, and so this, this, uh, treating the wife as the weaker vessel gets overblown to the point of, there, there's a lot of people within the patriarchal side of this argument who, who will act as if the women are incapable of any conscious thought. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I know that, that those are, that those are not extremely common, um, because anybody with some kind of wisdom knows that women aren't, you know, just mindless automata. Ironically, it comes from a lot of the feminists, the the male feminists as well. That's true. Um, <laughs> they think they need to defend them. That's why. Right. That's where we get white knighting from. Um, but you know the 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 real the real crux of this is that women are image bearers mm-hmm. with men. Um, there's three times in Genesis in Genesis one. In Genesis uh, 2 and in Genesis 4, where God specifically says that he created man in his image, male and female, he created them. And so, you know, we, we have to understand that women are capable of a lot, and anybody with a good woman knows that. Yeah, and if you don't know that, you don't have a good woman. And, well, <laughs> and, and maybe maybe part of the reason is your fault. Yeah. And you, you and you haven't expected enough from your wife. Uh, yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've always looked at it from the from the uh, a woman's like a garden. You have to actually like put the effort in for in, in order for any fruit to actually come out. Yeah, we had a big conversation with our environmentalist podcast about this. Yeah, um, where the relationship of you know, man as such, like man and woman in relation to the land, is much like a man and his wife. Mm-hmm. Where you know the garden motif, the Garden of Eden motif, rather, um, carries over into these other areas, and it has a lot to do more with cultivating. To, to speak of this in gardening terms, you're cultivating your wife, and pruning your wife to become the best tree of whatever kind she is. Right. Um. And, and okay. So also. Um, well, I mean. <laughs> 17 addresses the point of the weaker vessel. She girded her loins with strength and strengthened her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. So so right there, she's she's being industrious. She is she is able to accomplish the task set before. She knows what she has is good. Mm-hmm. So when she goes to sell it, she makes money off of it. You know, right. she's not just kowtowing down and like getting taken advantage of, right? Right. I see that a lot where, where you know, they'll start their little Etsy business or whatever, and um, they're like, oh, I just wanted to sell. You know, so they're taking a loss on this candle business because they don't think their stuff's any good. 
Um, but but also on the other hand, you know, it says her candle goeth not out by night. Well, that that's she has enough to make do. Like she she has budgeted her stuff that, you know, her candles are are of good quality. She's buying the best quality for her house, and they're lasting all the way throughout the night. Well, and I I think this is also pointing out that she's diligent in her work. Yeah. Because she's she's got the candlelight going all night. Right, she's burning the candle to get her work done to make sure she's of good quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is really the industriousness that is always expected of men, but it's something that you have to cultivate in your wife as well. Um, and you know, not you know, just um, not to overqualify this passage, but you know what we're talking about is you know, especially with the garden, if. If, if we're going to use the tree analogy that I pulled out earlier, if your wife's an apple tree, don't expect her to grow oranges. Right. Um, your wife has strengths, and lean into those strengths and try to use her strengths to counteract her weaknesses or even make her weaknesses no longer weaknesses. Right. And so it's this is part of that passage where it talks about men dwelling with their with their wives according to knowledge. Know who your wife is. Understand her strengths and her weaknesses. And encourage her to do good according to those strengths and weaknesses. So if, you're, if your wife is good at, at art and drawing and design, um, get her to design things. Get her to, to you know, lay out your kitchen. Or um, you know, if, she's, if she's really good and she has the time, and you can even use this as an education for your children, uh, get her a good design program. And let her design people's homes for them and do design templates for people. Um, that kind of stuff can pay money. And if, and if you're peddling her, if she's peddling her wares with something that she's already got a strength at, and she can teach her children color design or what matches what. I mean, I'm terrible with colors. I wear black and gray everywhere I go. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I don't care. But, um, you know, my wife has a whole thing with color matching and matches my clothes and makes sure that me and the boys match on Sunday. And that kind of thing is just one of her, her strengths. And so she helps other people out with that kind of thing. Speaking of helping people out, uh, it also says that she stretches her hand out to the poor and she reaches forth her hand to the needy. She has a giving heart. Yep. I mean, but, okay, so this is after she makes sure her house is clothed and fed. Mm-hmm. Then she moves out to the needy. You know, um, I've seen multiple, um, typically older, older Christian women, women that they'll, they'll go broke trying to give to ministries. Now we can argue about the the type of ministries, you know, I've probably, there's probably a bunch of old women out there that has been, um, deceived by the likes of TBN. Um, for those that don't know, it's the Trinity Broadcast Network, the, uh, the hive of scum and villainy. Um, it, it's where T.D. Jakes and who's not even a Trinitarian, by the way. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Creflo Ken, Dollar, Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Copeland, uh, those type of people. Benny Hinn, Benny Hinn was a big one. Yep. You know, and, and they there was old women out there that have maxed out many credit cards because they're they're trying to quote unquote give to charity, aka they bought them new jets. Pretty much. Um, you know that's not what we're talking about. We're we're and we're also not talking about your wife going down to you know Skid Row and handing out hamburgers to the to the quote unquote needy down there. I think it would be foolish for her to go down there. Yes, um, it'd be foolish for a man to go down there. What are you talking about? I didn't qualify. I just said her. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah. So so she had she's looking out for the needy. The, the needy could could just be you know people of her family. Um, well, and if we're going back to the um, Scarlet's mother for a moment, you know the the poor white trash who couldn't really take care of themselves and didn't know how to, you know, didn't know how medicine worked, she went out and plied her trade on people who couldn't pay them. Yeah. Um, you know, and one of the big upsets of her going and doing that that everybody had was that they couldn't pay their bills. Mm-hmm. And during a war when everybody's starting to struggle, she was going out and giving of her household. And, you know, uh, uh, her 
Scarlet's father would always buckle on this issue because he was a kind man and wanted to give as well. And so he would he would give of his family, i.e. his wife, so that others could be benefited. And so he was actually encouraging her to be the Proverbs 31 woman. But in a, in a wrong way. I mean, because think about it. How did Scarlet's mother die? Well, I, I think... I think the the intention and the desire to work that out is a is the is the part that I'm I'm kind of focusing on. Right. And I and I realized that you know she got sick and I mean her sisters got sick as well and they were all feverish and in bed for a while. Um, but what we're what we're really hammering down on here is an example of a southern woman in yeah. fiction. Um, which I mean we could we could also pull from the Confederate veteran as well because it talks about some of this. Uh, in there, we'll, we'll get to that, but um, kind of continuing through here, uh, she's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh, her, maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Silk and purple means fine clothes, by the way. I, I know in the 21st century America, um, we, we like to, we don't know what... <clears throat> what luxury clothes are. I mean, we do, but we don't. Like, even the poorest of us can get fine silk or at least synthetic silk. Um, but back in the day, I mean, you, you had to milk worms. I don't know how you make freaking silk, but I know it comes from a, from a worm. Yeah, yeah. they, uh, well, it, it's a big whole process, but. Well, yeah, we're not, we're not silk manufacturers here. We're not Chinamen. <laughs> uh, so the next, um, the next verse, I'm sorry, I had a brain fart there. The next <laughs> verse is, Her husband is known in the gates, and he sitteth among the elders of the land. Um, so one, one of the qualifications for an elder in the New Testament is is, is a husband that has his household in order. That's right. Um, so the woman is, is under proper submission to her husband. She's not causing strife within the streets or, you know, in the local community and... Um, She's at, she's actually being a good wife. Um, while that should be self-explanatory because we're talking about good wives, right? Um, but it's not if he's if he's well known and he's well liked, that means his wife is also well known and well liked. Um, we we often take that for for granted. We try to separate the two individuals in a marriage and and. And we can't do that. Uh, the The wife does reflect the husband in many aspects, especially if they've been married for quite some time. Newlyweds, it's kind of a, a strange thing. But when you think about your friends that have been married for, you know, 10 years or so, you, you don't think of them as individuals anymore. You kind of think of them as that's who they are. That's, well, they become one flesh. Yeah, they, literally, they become one flesh. Um, so, so for instance, in the previous episode, I was talking about that, the one particular family that the husband isn't in order and then also his wife isn't in order. So whenever I think of that family, that entire family is just in complete disorder. Right. And whenever I think of, whenever I think of another friend of mine, I, I, I immediately think that, well, his family is in order. Mm -hmm. He's in order. His family's in order. His, his wife, it's kind of like. Oh, it's the best. It's kind of like you're looking at um, uh, what are those Russian dolls, those nesting yeah. dolls. Yeah, the nesting it, dolls. It kind of reminds you of that. If they're all in alignment, you only see one of them. Mm -hmm. And whenever they're not in alignment, you just they're just everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of a kind of kind of the way that I'm thinking about it right now is, you know, a fan open or a fan closed type thing. Well, I know the the. One of the other aspects of this is that a man who has a good woman can step away from the home and know that his home is managed. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need to think about, am I going to come home and the whole house is going to be destroyed? He's going to know that while he's out doing other business and making a name for himself and making a name for his family, which is a good thing. Um, and he's building connections with other families and trying to build the community that um, he doesn't have to go home and think that everything is going to be in disarray because his wife's got this. And so 
you know, we're we're talking about you know, the Proverbs thirty one is, is this like ideal, right? The perfect woman, mm-hmm. and so no woman's going to fully attain to this. So we're talking about the the quintessential archetype of the good wife here, if you want to think about this in psychological terms. And so her husband's is known at the gates, and he's sitting among the elders of the land because he knows that when he leaves the house, his wife's got it. He doesn't need to worry about what's going on at the house. Everything's, he, everything's good. He doesn't have to worry about Jody coming over. Correct. And, you know, this this doesn't mean that he's, again, you know, all the things that we talked about in the previous episode with fathers, that carries over here, right? So he's still teaching in his own home. Mm-hmm. He's still guiding his, his wife. He's still guiding his children. None of that's done away with. But he knows that when he goes out and starts working on his conquering of the wilderness, so to speak, that he, he doesn't have to worry about the, the garden become he doesn't have to worry about coming back to the garden and it being in, in, in shambles. He knows that his his garden is in good order. Um, and so continuing down, she maketh fine linen and selleth it, and deliver delivereth girdles unto the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. And she shall rejoice in time to come. And so the, these two parts here, uh, she's in a very industrious woman, kind of goes back to the whole she's built, she's making fine clothes, she's, she's making sure her family is well-dressed, well put together. Um, and here, and it, it's kind of building up to the end, um, everything that she's doing so far is already in line with her domestic duties. She's not going beyond her domestic duties, but she's being so industrious at her domestic duties that they are overflowing. And so the overflow she's taking out and selling it and making sure that she brings in even more profit into the home. One of the interesting things that it says is strength and honor are her clothing, but also up here it says her clothing is silk and purple. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you, you recently got in trouble with some feminazis about, <laughs> yeah. about about how a woman's vanity is a is a predominantly feminine sin. Yes. Um, now, because we understand gender distinctions, we understand that there are predominant sins um, from male and females. I don't have to worry about my vanity. If you couldn't tell, if, if you did, I would be concerned yeah, for you. That would kinda, be effeminate. Be kind of gay. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, but my, you know, I do have other sins that are like one of the male, the men's predominant sins is that, uh, he is, um, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to step up and actually lead, mm-hmm. you know, of course everybody says, oh yeah, I want to be a leader. Well, no one really wants to be a leader. A lot of times they just want power. Right. Um, and, and, and so it, it does often one of the, one, I know one of my, uh, predominant sins is I just want to sit back and let everything go on coast. That's right. And you can't do that. That's that's me too. And, and in the yeah. same way, a woman would be more concerned about her fine raiment and fine jewelry. I mean, we have examples all throughout the New Testament, especially in Paul's writing, that a woman should not gird herself with with golden jewelry. Right. Not saying that golden jewelry are, are in themselves inherently sinful, but a lot of times it, it does it has that flash of look at me. You know, look at how beautiful I am. Um, a man doesn't have that. Well, so my, my criticism of makeup, for instance, um, has not been the traditional, you know, makeup bad because, you know... Makes you look like a harlot. Right. Um, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a woman adorning herself. Right. Right. In the in the passages in, a, in, in uh, Ezekiel, God adorns his church with rings and with fine clothes and with makeups and stuff. So I, I think I think that's a misapplied aggression against a very real sin now. Um, my criticism of makeup is that most of the women that I have known that have used makeup use makeup to make themselves look unblemished. Mm-hmm. And instead of using makeup to accent themselves or to adorn themselves, they use it as a way to lie about themselves and to make themselves look like something they're not. Um, and so a, a prime example of a historic figure that won't hurt anybody's feelings, uh, when, Queen, when Queen Elizabeth died, Queen Elizabeth II died, she had so much makeup on her face that it was about an inch thick. Wow. And so 
it's all her face looked cracked and everything. That wasn't the skin. That was her makeup that was cracked because it was so caked on. And so she's old and wrinkly, but she doesn't look old and wrinkly because she's got a, you know, a bunch of minerals on her face to make herself look young. <laughs> she she's literally has like a plastic cat or a plaster cast the, over her face. Yeah, that's been built up over the years of, you know, all the disgusting things that gets mixed in with the makeup. Or the baby's blood. Yeah. So. I train her comb. But, you know, the... Kind of getting back to it, though, you know, I've, I've always cautioned my wife, um, I'm not against you wearing makeup, I'm against you lying with your makeup. And it took some time to really get that point across, um, but now, I mean, she's, she, she's not uncomfortable wearing makeup, I don't expect her to be, but she does think about that specific idea, am I lying with what I'm doing with my adornments? Yeah, I've known a lot of women, and you... you... They they think they're hot. They think they're hiding it real good, but in fact, no. I can I can see that you know, it, it looks like Tony Montana put something on your face, but it's just <laughs> nothing but like cakes of powder. Right. Yeah. And uh, one that's just generally unattractive. Right. Uh, but two, it's it's weird, man. Like, of course, if I could, you know, I just screw makeup. Well, and and so I've I've met some. Older women that are absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. And they're beautiful because they are not trying to hide the wrinkles. The wrinkles aren't what bother them. Um, they, are, they are women of, of a kind and gentle spirit. They're, they're quiet women. And they encourage and they, um, they bolster the men around them and the women around them. And that, that quietness of spirit um, that Timothy... That, that Paul told Timothy that women need to have. Um, they they exude that in spades. And so, I mean, yeah, they put a little makeup on here and there just to, you know, accent what they are already. Which, you know, if you get back into the real conservative philosophy to begin with, you know, beauty is, you know, just as... Um, a virtue is the excellence of a thing according to its nature. Mm -hmm. Beauty is the adornment of a thing according to its nature. And so everything is according to one's nature. You can't take away from that. And once you try to stray away from what you are, you end up making yourself very ugly. So so in, in uh, one, one respect, you know, th there are some just downright dog ugly women. Um, would never say that to their face, but you know, they know who they are. But a lot of the ugly women that I know, it's because they have an ugly nature. Yes. Um, well, same with men. Yeah. And same with men. I mean, now, of course I'm ugly, but that's just because I'm, you know, what does it say about you? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, but the the you know there there can be some not not absolutely you know drop dead beautiful or anything like that but there there can be some you know beautiful women and they are beautiful because that is who they are that is the 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 dare I say the aura that they you know put off that you know they're kind they're gentle they're um they're they're just great human beings mm -hmm. and that makes them beautiful uh, I think that has a lot to do with the the spiritual connecting with the the uh, the material. Yeah. Um, so so for instance, whenever I I had first come to Christ, I was talking with a friend of mine's grandmother, and um, she you know we always just cut up over at her house here or whatever, and uh, she said, you know what, you look a lot better ever since you started going to church. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how to take that. Did I look ugly before? She's like, no, you just look better because you're taking care of yourself. And I'm like, I haven't changed my diet or anything. Right, yeah. I just stopped smoking a ton of pot. Now I only smoke a little. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 it's... Be, it's and a free Dixie pot will be illegal. <laughs> well... Uh, yeah, there we go. There we go. We got the we got the druggie over here. We got to rehabilitate him. Hey, no, hey, no. <laughs> it's, for, it's for my glaucoma. <laughs> but uh but no i mean seriously like you're like okay for instance there was this other guy he was you know uh, he was hanging around the same you know church group that i was hanging around he used church in air quotes but he just looked he looked like Gollum. Uh, i kid you not he just looked yeah. ugly 
Mm-hmm. And and I, I, for real, I think one day I saw him as a demon one time, but that's totally another story. But you know, it, get a little Pentecostal here. Yeah, a little bit. A little <laughs> bit. I was Pentecostal at that time. But he just he looked like a he looked like a freaking like a goblin. Yeah, I've and, met guys like that too. And um and it was all because of you know it's not that physically the guy was you know he you know, of course he was old and didn't take care of himself so he did you know he did look ugly but he wasn't like repulsive but because of his nature he yep. was truly repulsive of course come to find out we think that he might have turned his son gay. And everyone can read through the lines on that one. Yeah. Um, and uh, but anyways, yeah, it's just the the when the immaterial and the material are not the same thing, but they are connected. They are intertwined in such a way. They're distinct, but they can't be separated. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and so there's a, um, a a pastor that did a marriage conference. Um, no, 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 no! Cut that out! I'm just gonna, I'm gonna cut clips of that into this, because it's hysterical the way that he puts it. But what, what, what was it? Uh, Mark Gunger. I'll let you, I'll let you listen to the video. because okay. It's pretty funny. But let me, let me walk that back. And, you know, so uh, the the woman that Solomon is speaking of in Song of Solomon, he talks about her, her neck being like a tower, and. <laughs> You know her her uh, her nose being like you know no her breast being heaps of heaps of um, uh, is it wool? I'm gonna have to pull the scripture up. So you know in in Song of Solomon chapter four, you know he's talking about his this is his this is the love of his life. Yeah, the most beautiful woman, right? Your neck is like the Tower of David. Built for an armory, whereupon, uh, where whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Two breasts, thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins, uh, which, which feed, feed among the lilies until daybreak. You know he he's going down, and he, he you know he he makes other other comparisons here, but you know she got a she got a long neck, she got little boobs, <laughs> right. So it's not, it's not the 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 physical attributes there that really attracted him to her. Uh-huh. It was her beauty as a woman, and so even even women that are you know would normally be I'll say it this way would normally be you know kind of harder on the eyes. There's a beauty that shines out when they're a woman of of virtue that outshines any physical um uh unattractive elements that they might have yeah i was always wondering if that was supposed to be like an attractive description or not but it don't sound like it like you got a long neck you got sheep for teeth (laughs) and your hair looks like goats little bitty boobs (laughs) (laughs) um so and and this this actually Segues right into the next couple passages. She opened she openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to her to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. She didn't sit around watching Netflix eating bonbons. That's right. Literally, bread of idleness. Can you get any more bread of idleness than Twinkies and bonbons? You cannot. Um, but but you know really here. Uh, 26 kind of hits me. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and her tongue is the law of kindness. Um, that pulls right to the Confederate veteran description, um, where if among the Hebrews each man was a priest to his own family, the woman was a priestess whose duty was pleasure and love was law. Mm. And uh, the the traditions of the South, the Southern woman, were pulled from Proverbs, and and it extols the the Southern woman as fulfilling that obligation um, of of a good woman. Per this, her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. 
So because of all the good that she's given, she in turn receives praise, which she's due, that praise. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excels, ex excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. And so a, a good woman is, as the scriptures say, the glory of man. Woman was created as the glory of man, actually. I'm going to... Well, it says that the uh, the woman is the crown is the crowning jewel of a man. You know, he's she's literally her crown. So when you're thinking of a king and they put a crown on top of him, you're going to look at that crown before you look at him, because that crown is so. It's, it, well, I mean, you know, Queen Elizabeth just died. You know, what about that that um that packy um diamond that everybody's talking about? You know, the 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 one that's like. 64 carats or something like that, mm -hmm. the, the massive one. I mean, ain't nobody looking at Elizabeth's one inch of makeup. They're going to be looking at that jewel. That's right. I think purdy. Well, and, and here I'm going to go to, you know, 1 Corinthians 11. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman who, that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and the glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. And so... How we would understand this passage in in Second Corinthians eleven would be the Proverbs thirty one woman. She is the glory of her husband, mm. as the husband is the glory of Christ. And in other in other passages, it talks about Christ being the glory of God. And this Paul's actually making that connection here by saying that there's um, glory that's handed down. From God the Father to God the Son to God, uh, uh, from from God the Father to God the Son to man and then to woman, but there's also an an um, enhancing factor here with that handing down. Now, obviously, I, I don't want to get into any Trinitarian heresies here, so it's not the same between man and woman as it is between God the Father and God the Son because they share the same essence, they are of the same Godhood, they are co-equal, co-eternal. So you, you, you've got to be careful with how you're applying this necessarily. But what we understand this as in, in the context of the passages that we've already brought out, Proverbs 31 and this 1 Corinthians 11, is that man is going out and building a name for himself. And the thing that gives him even more glory than the name he's already acquired for himself is that someone would enter into his home and his wife would honor his name by being a glory to him. Mm -hmm. and be a source of, of, of legitimate pride for him. Too many times, you know, we, we've already talked about vanity. Um, and while beauty is a good thing, it, it oftentimes does lead to vanity. What, what, is, what does he say in the very next book? You know, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. That's right. And vanity is, you know, be your beauty is going to wither, go through your hands as you age. You know, you're going to look, you know, you'll probably still look beautiful when you're older. But if you're, if all you're focused now on is your youthful beauty, that's going to fade quickly. But you're, but any woman that fears the Lord will, will continue on and, and have higher purposes, higher goals. 
And um, I think the favor that is being the favor that is deceitful. I think that's a. I think that's more of uh, what's the way that I should put that. It's it's whenever it's kind of like Scarlet at the beginning. She catches all the man's eyes, mm-hmm. and and all that just goes as she gets older. I mean, she can't even keep her husband at the end because she's such a mean, evil witch. With a beat. Um, and so, you know, her beauty was fading. Of course, she was probably still very beautiful, you know, or else why would Rhett Butler keep her around, right? But all that that she had that gained her these high status positions, they, they, they went away after the war. You know, she was no longer beautiful. She'd been touched by the sun. She probably had more freckles than she did beforehand, you know, because she was a ginger and having to work out in the field and that type of stuff. And, but Melanie's virtue remained. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, I think just putting those two side by side is just an excellent example of the Proverbs 31 woman and then the harlot in the street. Yeah. Of course, we could argue, oh, but Scarlet wasn't a harlot. <laughs> Rhymed. Scarlet wasn't a harlot because she, you know, she only had sex with her husband. Well, yeah, but she was still acting like a harlot. Well, it was a business arrangement for her. It had yeah. nothing to do with real love or real desire to elevate her husband. In fact, she was seeking her husbands to elevate her right. instead to to set herself. She she was a feminist. She set herself above her husband. Isn't that a whole hypergamy crap that we always hear about? Oh, yeah, I need a high-status husband. Yep. So I can, instead of saying, you know, hey, I can get this guy and we can we can build an empire together. Right. You know, they want to be leeches. They don't want to be a queen. Right. Oh, that's a damn that's a freaking good line right there. That is. Anyways. Um, so I kind of want to end my commentary on this one passage. I, I read this earlier, and I, I thought this really... Um, personified the southern woman as we're trying to understand her. This ideal, I guess. Since the day of exploded ideals has arrived, when William Tell and George Washington's little hatchet, yea, even the all-pervading Puritan who dominated from their sure seats, it seems as if traditional southern women from the old plantation life might be allowed to descend from the cross where she has been nailed for generations. This graceful but but lackadaisical effigy of imaginary quote-unquote southern princess who alternately lulled in the hammock in slothful self-indulgence or arose in her wrath to scourge her helpless dependence is the creation which our neighbors have been pleased to call the quote-unquote typical southern woman. How different was the real housemistress who on the great river properties before the war ruled the destinies of her family with gentle and wise sway. To us, who know her in her old age, it seems inexplicable that her place has been so long usurped by the figure fashioned by a hostile sculptor. What a blessing this woman is to the New South. The South of struggles and poverty, even the bitterest of her detractors must acknowledge, now that the clouds and smoke of battle begin to clear away, and under the sun of peace reveal her true self. What she was in the larger and more complicated sphere of her old life is known only to those who took part in it, or to the younger generation who feel the beneficent influence of her character. Had the women of the plantation been lazy drones of the popular fancy, dreaming away their their aimless lives in an atmosphere heavy with odors of yellow jasmine, magnolias, and roses, she would have been vanquished by the conditions over which she had been victorious. When war, pestilence, famine settled on her country, the southern woman, armed cop of her, of her hereditary, of her, armed with her heredity of good housewifery, self-control, and patience, sprung uncomplaining and cheerful to her place, and vanquished her difficulties with a manly vigor and with a womanly grace the memory of which is very precious and sweet, savored to those with whom she dwelt. Hey y'all, thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to dixiepolis at protonmail.com or send us a message on Gab. 
If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all. Steve.